You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about classic albums and decide if they deserve that distinction. And we also talk about some unsung classics in the hopes of bringing them to a new audience. And at the end of it all, we let you decide if we are right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. listening to episode number 34 of the Unsung Podcast. On our last regular episode, we were talking about Pink by the band Boris. The public have decided that this record does indeed make it into our discography. So thank you very much to everybody who took the time to listen and to vote. We really appreciate that. On this episode, we are talking about Whatever You Love You Are by Dirty Three. I'm your host Mark Fraser and I'm joined by the Glasgow's first Chuckle Brothers tribute act Deliberately not going to chuckle To me To to you you. Me Uh, uh, Did you know that the other, there were more brothers of Paul and Barry There were multiple chuckles Yeah they they weren't called Chuckle, they were actually called Morton or something like that that, But they also appeared in the Chuckle Brothers as like, you know the guy that was always their boss Right. It was actually their older brother. I'm saying right. I have no idea. Fuck off. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) to my right is the last remaining chuckle brother. So will anybody outside of the UK have any idea? No, they will not have any idea who the chuckle brothers are. The semi-tragic comic duo of men much older than Neil Ellen. Whoa! (laughs) That one Botswana listener is just going to be like, what's happening? Botswana? Yeah. We're breaking through. Yeah. It's getting strange out there. I really wish someday would drop us a message from a country other than the UK, Australia, or New USA. Zealand. Or New Zealand. Or New Zealand. Yeah. They love their podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so to my left, uh, sporting his uh, Nazi endorsing I far realize. right. I, black, I should get rid of this t shirt. Hipster black metal t shirt uh, is David Weaver. Just, just, just a really nice t shirt to wear. Colors. But I didn't. I, I packed last night because I was staying at my girlfriend's last night and I just took this out of the... I'll, I'll burn it tonight, okay? Is that okay? <laughs> but that's the problem with black metal. They're always burning things. They like so that. I shouldn't burn it. Shouldn't burn it. I'll just give it to charity shop. Give it to charity. That's the least black metal thing you could do. <laughs> Perfect. Great. So what album are we doing this week? We are doing the sonically middle class <laughs> Dirty Three, <laughs> according to Mark and his fucking nonsensical setting up pattern tonight. Violence are so middle class, man. Violence are middle class. <laughs> oh my God. I love a good fiddle, to be fair. Hey-o. Hey! <laughs> talk I meant the instrument, though. I meant the instrument, though. No, you didn't. A lot, a lot of the old country that you hate that I like has got a lot of violence in it, so it's all good by me. I think suggesting that Warren Ellis is middle class or at least started as he's Australian. You don't get middle class Australians. True, you don't. I've War- been. You know, There's War- literally none. You know, Warren Ellis got into music. He discovered a uh, like a piano in a dump where he was playing. <laughs> <laughs> he took it home. I was. Uh, I think it was an accordion. An ac- oh, it was an yeah. a, it's a piano accordion. It's one of those like weird keyed ones. Wow. And uh, took it home. And his teacher showed him how to play it to keep him out of trouble. And then it ended and turned out he was had such an aptitude for. He was quite good at that, music. Uh, good at the music. He won a scholarship to go to a private school and ended up studying classical violin and becoming a teacher. So we're headlong right into this then. That's just yeah. starting right there. Yeah. No, but I just, I mean, that was one of the barmiest things uh, I've heard all day. <laughs> I was only taking the piss out, yeah. <laughs> I've been hanging out with Dave for an hour waiting on you getting here. So there's a whole host of barmy things. I was not being serious, Chris. Well, that <laughs> sounds like a backpedal to me, David. What do you think? Mm, I know. He did say it sounded middle class. But, but violence are middle class a lot of people 
Not to me though. To a lot of it. To a lot of people are saying <laughs> people on are the street. <laughs> Alice Jones told me that. Um, I've been to uh, Ballarat, which is where Warren Ellis is from. It's a, yeah, he was originally he was born in Victoria, but he grew up. He went to school in Ballarat. Yeah, well, Ballarat's in Victoria. Victoria oh. is like the region. There you go, guys. Geography see, podcast, uh, and I can, politics I can, podcast. I'm pretty sure that there is li- there are literally no middle class people in Ballarat. See, and your your mad dash to try and take a piss out of me. You've actually completely forgot to mention the band and the album. <laughs> it's secondary at this point because we've found your Achilles. Heel. I, I like this album a lot. Oh, have we so not talked about. Oh, right. We haven't Chris, mentioned what, what album are we doing? <laughs> oh, we're we're going to cover uh, whatever you love you are by Dirty Three. Great. That's a really good record. Away I said that at the end of the last episode as well, to be fair. Yeah, that's fine. Oh. Yeah, you did show your hand. Yeah. yeah. It is a really good record. I wasn't expecting to like it at all. Why I chose it. I don't know why. I've yeah. never heard it before. You I think seek the, the, ba- the Nick Cave... You seek ba- the credibility, the vicarious credibility of pretending to be working class. I think a Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds like, connection, I don't really like Nick Cave that much, so I kind of like expect not to like this. So We'll get to that in some point but in the future. I did. I, I do. I do really enjoy this, so yeah. Great. I can't wait to do a Nick Cave episode. <laughs> man. That's going to be good. Yeah, more middle class Australian rock music. <laughs> going to invite some daggers by smack talking Nick Cave, man. I'm I didn't smack talk, you said it right. I'm not a Colonies mama bitch or whatever. Well, <laughs> he's, he's one of those guys that you just don't, you don't fuck with. You yeah. Know? He's, like a Billy Bob Dylan who none of us like. He's unimpeachable. Nah, you can shit on Bob Dylan. <laughs> Bob Dylan's shite so A lot know. of people would say otherwise And I'm not one of those people But a lot of people John C. Riley made an entire film Shitting on Bob Dylan <laughs> It's true he did. he did So tell us a bit about Dirty Three then Chris Okay <laughs> <laughs> Dirty Three formed in 1992 in Melbourne In Australia uh, It's a trio The clues in the name really Yeah I, I don't know if they necessarily consider themselves dirty You never know yeah. No but you listen to their Music <laughs> Right So um, <laughs> And uh, No do you not think It has a slightly Grimy quality to it It's a bit Yeah Well they called Mick Turner's bedroom Where they recorded Their first demo Scuzz Studios So yeah. I, I guess That makes sense And I don't know I just feel like It gives me I get a rusty feel From Rusty <laughs> Rusty's Yeah the, the strings are, Sound rusty There's a technique Behind that Which is Using an elastic band To attach a guitar pickup To your violin Yeah There you go Did that um, Is uh First show of Dirty Three at the uh, Baker's Arms in Richmond, Melbourne, a pub that I've been to. Have you? With her, yeah. And it's shit. It's like it just shows the footy and it's got gambling machines in it and stuff. Shit now. Probably wasn't. Yeah, it must have been shit. decent in the yeah. early 90s. Who knows? That's also grimy. Uh, it's actually quite clean, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't Eat my back. dinner off it. Yeah, um, exactly. So the Dirty Three is a band with three members: Warren Ellis on violin, uh, Mick Turner on guitar, and the fantastic Jim White on drums. And it's always been that trio. They've had various people coming in and out doing bits and bobs, and they are serial collaborators, which we'll we'll touch on later on. But it's actually kind of nice to have a band that has maintained its core membership throughout. And, uh, this album's their fifth album. They've got. They've got quite a lot of records, they've got a lot of EPs, lots of bits and bobs kicking around, including quite a lot of branch-offs into solo work, which we'll give a few of them a mention as well. Uh, Dirty Three are quite heavily associated with Nick Cave. Uh, they toured with Cave in 1995. Um, at that point, Warren Ellis had already done some stuff with the Bad Seeds. He became a sort of full member around about 94, I think, and then by about 96, he he was effectively like Nick Cave's kind of main collaborator. Um it's somewhere between post-rock, which seems kind of absurd when you hear it, and folk, experimental folk, alt-folk. It's, it's, it's there's really a lot of jazz influence in there as well. A lot of jazz, yeah, there's a lot drums, of like, yeah. refer- uh, references to John Coltrane's. Definitely, you can hear that for sure, yeah. A lot, yeah, I think a lot. it's held, held together by the sort of jazzy drumming of White. He's got yeah, like he's, that... To be fair, his drumming wasn't always as jazzy as that. I think it, when you when you look through their back catalogue, the earlier stuff, the, the eponymous debut album, yeah. although there is a bit of dispute over their debut and their second album because I think there was a reissuing thing in other territories. Basically, they released 33 first overall, 
But I think Sad and Dangerous, which was effectively the second album, came out the same year. Maybe came out in some territories first and actually features stuff, which was from that 12-track recording they'd done prior to the first album. So there's a little bit of kind of a difference of opinion and depending on who you're asking about what was the first and second album. But those albums were much more overdriven. They're quite quite raspy, distorted. Um, the drumming, certainly in Dirty Three, the album, is... A lot straighter, and it's actually quite odd to listen to because it's mm-hmm. it is almost like rock drumming. But Sad and Dangerous is a bit further out there, um, and Horse Stories is where Jim White really starts to freestyle these drumming it's it's really it's very felt it's very uh, improvised and there's a lot of movement around the drums themselves, brushing on the snare, like running sticks around cymbals, little bits of like sound effects that you get from different parts of the kit. And from there, Jim White became more and more and more idiosyncratic to the point where he's now... There was a quote I found there uh, from an article in Time Out about Jim White's session work uh, that said, those who play with Jim White speak of him with the ardour of religious converts. He's kind of the, the indie session man of dreams mm-hmm. nowadays, but his sound is quite out with what you'd expect from an indie drummer to be honest I think he really brings yeah, something definitely. very distinct to whatever he does anyway Dirty Three uh, released those three albums were, they were all quite raspy they, they'd all made quite heavy use of the distortion and quite a lot of noise by the fourth album Motion Songs it, it was quite a departure for them it was the first album where they really played almost without distortion in a lot of places um, things were a lot more delicate and a lot more atmospheric it was a wee bit of a risk I guess um, the hardest part of this episode for me was trying to decide between Ocean Songs and this album I think the two of them are wonderful and I don't think there's a hell of a lot of daylight between them yeah those are the two that I've always listened to in the past Like I, f- I think that's sort of their defining sound and those two records just get it perfect for yeah, me Ocean Songs is as far as I'm aware the only one they recorded with Steve Albini but we're going to have to start doing Steve Albini next mm-hmm. the way, because he's or just a tally count it's really interesting you mentioned Steve Albini because I actually thought this album was produced by him such was the drum sound on it uh, which is totally not they did themselves I know but uh, when I first heard that I was like that sounds a bit like him but it's the album that came immediately after the album yeah. they done with Steve Albini so I suspect they saw something they liked or heard something they Probably, liked probably yeah within the production of Ocean Songs there's a couple of tracks in Ocean Songs Backwards Voyager is a beautiful really understated step forward for them musically I think the delicacy of that was a, a real progression for their sound overall and blew open a lot of possibilities in their future albums. Uh, Last Horse in the Sand on that album is actually the first 33 song I heard and it's still one of my favourites. Uh, sea Above, Sky Below is a really beautiful song from that album as well and there's actually a really great video that was shot in a bedroom during ATP in New York uh, featuring Nick Cave on electric piano, I think it is, keys. Uh, with like Warren Ellis who's always super animated during their shows jumping about on a bed as the song progresses also the drumming in that version in that video is astonishing it's as you could imagine quite different from the, the record no two takes are the same with Jim White because of the way he plays the drumming in that ATP video is, is wonderful Um, but Ocean Songs are a really, really beautiful album and it, it set the scene for whatever you love you are by moving them away from that really cacophonous vibe. Actually, I saw Dirty Three at the ABC2 some years ago. It was one of the worst sounding gigs I've ever seen. That was a bad sounding room. Oh, bad sounding yeah. room. 
bad sounding gig It was just horrendous I mean as much as Warren Ellis Loves to distort his violin There was a point where you couldn't hear A full played drum kit over a violin It was it was awful But at the same time That sort of sense of like Full on audio saturation Was mm-hmm. much more consistent with their earlier stuff They were like a punk folk band And they really were like a punk folk band They came from punk punk bands I think like Mick uh, Turner was originally called Mick Sick and his, and his first band um, I think they were called The Sick Things mm-hmm. Jim White had played in a, a few punk bands a few alternative bands he played in a noise rock band with a fucking brilliant name People With Chairs Up Their Noses So these guys did come from like really noisy roots and despite the fact that they were basically playing folk music, they were playing it very hard, very heavy. And well, none of them really came from like a traditional folk background. No. I think that's kind of what you hear in this is it's outsiders playing folk music because as progressive as folk music can be, it's also a very backward and traditionalist genre a lot of the time. You know, the, you know if you go to Celtic Connections or something... A lot of folk music is, you know, going back over, you know, old traditional favourites covering yeah, I big think things. You're right. And there's there's a lot of expectations for people to to abide by certain standards yeah. and to observe certain traditions within that scene. Aye, and as you say, there were there were outsiders doing folk music, um, but there is a very very strong flavour, a very very strong Celtic flavour through mm-hmm. what they do. There's also a very strong Eastern European flavour what they do. In, in what they do and it turns out that Warren Ellis had actually taken a year out and come over to Europe and he spent part of that year travelling in Greece and Hungary busking yeah. um, really absorbing sort of influences from, from Eastern European music and he also spent uh, the majority of that year in Scotland and Ireland and again says that played a huge formative part of his him establishing his identity on the violin because he went back to Australia with really you know Gaelic yeah, absolutely. Ideas. And it's interesting, like, talking about Australian music overall, I think a lot of Australian music lacks a sort of uniform identity, you know, because European music there only goes back 100 years or so, or culture does. And it's really interesting listening to Dirty Three. You wouldn't necessarily say it sounds Australian. It's it's You just pick up hints of lots of other things. You, you do get that Scottishness, you get that Europeanness, and then you get that sort of lost cowboy from the West sort of sound as well. It's interesting, it's, a lot of the reviews for Ocean Songs talked about it being so representative of that tradition of uh, the Australian Western. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. like like it really called to mind the kind of things that he's actually gone on to associate himself with. So Warren Ellis uh, and Nick Cave worked on the soundtrack to the fantastic movie The Proposition. Which is really an Australian Western, yeah, and uh, and both its aesthetics and in its subject, and it really it was a, a kind of very expansive, very reminiscent of like the Pilgrims, the the, the German families, the Scottish families, the Irish families, yeah, uh, that had travelled to to the to the frontier, you know, and were were setting out and bringing their traditions first or second generation with them, and this does have that that feel of it. It, it does have that feel of somebody that's been uprooted from these areas of Eastern Europe or Scotland or whatever and is now in this kind of very dusty, arid expansive, slightly you know, indifferent and very dangerous landscape Yeah, and you um, can tell from that that's included that you know, that his influences are you know, like that, but then also as you said, you know, his work with uh, Nick Cave on soundtracks really work, you know, because he, he's done another couple of actual westerns as well, and just his his music really lends itself to that large sort of cinematic soundscape and you I think you really get that on this record it's it could be you know a soundtrack to a a sort of melancholic western yeah well I mean Ellis even 
you know, dipping into that, like a, the aforementioned uh, scoring work that he's done, which is often some of his best work. He's done things like uh, Lawless, which was actually a screenplay by Nick Cave. Yeah. Which, okay, it was about prohibition and such like, but it was, you know, very much set in the the, US, the American Depression era. Uh, he did the proposition, he did the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, which is a Western um, a and really he- Hell or High Water And Hell or High Water, exactly Which is a, a contemporary western And an actually fantastic movie as well Really brilliant, anything with Ben Foster But that film is tremendous um, so, uh, We also, I think he did Wind River I think Hell or High Water and Wind River as well Were by a, a writer called uh, Taylor Sheridan Who seems to work really well With the musical context of uh, Warren Ellis especially it just seems to be the, the two of them have a very similar vision in what they're doing um, but yeah he's, he's, his work in scoring has been quite consistent with the images that his music conjures uh, with you know just the feel in general and he's also as uh, you've seen Warren Ellis he's a very ramshackle rugged sort of frontiersman looking guy he's Big beard, very like straggly long hair that's kind of grey and he's very It looks like if you patted him on his thigh, some dust would rise up. Yeah, exactly. It does. I. Uh, he's very emotive, live. He's quite wild. He looks like one of those guys that jumps on a table in, in a saloon and starts going, yeah, you know, like <laughs> slapping, <laughs> slapping, fine, clicking his, you know, his spurs. And there, there is a lot of that about them. I think they they play to that as well quite a bit. I think there is a. They're they're not. They don't lack self awareness. Um, Jim White as well is a, an unusual character. I don't know if you've ever seen anything by. Xyluris White I don't know if that's I'm even pronouncing it correctly Yeah uh, We had him at the Hug and Pint Last year well, There you go So Xyluris White Because David was at that as well Dave Warner My man Dave Warner Yeah Hits me up with all these references Which is his, his project With George Xyluris The Greek singer They've got a video called Only Love Mm-hmm have you seen the video? Yeah, it's highly recommended <laughs> to see this video. It's a work of insane genius. Really, really crazy. Uh, but that's again that kind of eccentric, kind of oddball folk music with bits of rock and bits of lo-fi indie sort of mixed in with it at times as well. But he's another kind of unusual character, Jim White. Mick Turner, by by comparison, seems relatively sane. Just plays guitar. <laughs> plays yeah. guitar. Does all the artwork. Yeah. As well, the artworks. The Which paintings. is nice. Yeah. And, and and he's a he's a he's had um, exhibitions all over the place, exhibited worldwide. Is uh, we should talk about the record then, maybe. Yeah, we should. So yeah, so uh, Whatever You Love You Are was the fifth album. Um, spoke a wee bit about the four before it. After it, uh, they did a record. Whatever You Love, We Are. Whatever You Love, You Are. We Are. It's, uh, yeah, Whatever You Love. No, it's Whatever You Love, You Are. It's what they've got as We Are on Spotify. Mark, can I just keep this bit in where I'm, I'm right? Does that <laughs> say it on Spotify? Yeah, look. Like, oh, that's weird. It's that's definitely so weird. Whatever You Love, You Are. Yeah. That's, that's utterly bizarre. Spotify Yet more evidence That the world Is going to hell In a handcuff Totally is man <laughs> Totally is But I mean On the bright side I'm right <laughs> <laughs> And that's That's always A good day For me um, So the album That came after this Was called She Has No Strings Apollo Mark Can you correct me On that one <laughs> uh, Sorry what <laughs> It was actually He Has No Strings Apollo yeah. According to Deezer Um so, <laughs> I mean, that, song's, that, that album's not even on Spotify It's so. actually called They Has No Strings at all It doesn't exist Which is a good record uh, It's got a beautiful opening track Alice Wedding Uh, which I think some of the it's one of the nicest songs actually, and it they, it's a song where they use staccato violin, you know, the plucked strings rather than than bowed, and I, I love it when they do that. We'll talk about that more in relation to this album, but when they bring it down and start using the staccato stuff, I think it's it's really intimate, it's really beautiful, it's a it's a really nice touch. That one's also quite a that album also has quite a rough feel. That the symbol crashes even just at the start of Alice Wedding are kind of illustrative of the unfussiness. Like they are a band that are very enamoured with imperfection. They do not worry overly about mistakes on their albums. They 
they keep everything in from the sounds of it. Certainly, there's numerous points in any given record where it sounds like somebody's sort of gone off the the map a wee bit, but yeah, it, 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 they bring it back and deliberately revel in the sort of chaos of it, the, the fragility of it. I, well, I, I feel like a lot of the times uh, the word I'm thinking of is meandering, but it always finds it. Like, they always find the path back. You know, I think She Has No Strings Apollo actually suffers a little bit from meandering. I agree. doesn't find I think the it, path back as it, they do on... Yeah, it loses its way after that first track for me. It's it's still nice, but it's the kind of album you can have it on and then it finishes and you haven't really taken much notice of it. Yeah. Unlike some of their... Something like Ocean Songs, which is one of those albums that you have it on and then you're maybe having a conversation and you're like, Sorry, Jesus. Sorry, I just need to listen to this That's, track. That is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's it doesn't really grab you in that way. Yeah, they followed that album with Cinder, which is quite a pivotal album for them. It's nineteen tracks, um, by any standards, is a lot. It, it's really long, obviously. As a result, um, it's the only album they've got that features vocals. Uh, Chan Marshall, aka Cat Power. Um, who I suppose could be your nexus Oh she is the nexus yeah. If you're feeling lazy Oh no can we do uh-huh. the nexus now We well, might as well Alright yeah let's do the nexus Let's do the nexus So your nexus yeah. Mark You're going to hit the damn music first Right I'll play some music I'm sick of doing this music guys So we're going to have to start Getting submissions from the audience <laughs> Alright <laughs> Put really that good. out there yeah, We want a nexus submission Please Okay But For now Here's my latest effort Make that yourself. That's no. so impressive. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> All right, Mark, you're Foo Fighters it's, next. It's Chan, it's it's Chan Marshall. It is, oh, Mark, it is, you know, you turned up so lazy. You don't even dress yourself anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. It's all about get. It's all about the least number of jumps to get there. You know, what I mean, that's the, that that's the actual way it is. Okay, I've got to well, do it properly. Uh, uh, David, is yours a? Uh, ab- well, Warren Ellis played uh, with a band called Hunters and Collectors. Uh, who are the main band of Australian musician and producer Barry Palmer? Uh, he also produced a track. <laughs> Can you say that with an Australian accent? Barry Palmer. <laughs> Barry Palmer. <laughs> Barry. Uh, he produced "Rip It Up" by th- that band Twenty Eight Days. Do you remember them? Hell no. They were from like the late nineties. They were sort of skate punk metal y. Oh, they sounded right up your street. Well, they had a track on only in the Australian version, but on the Mission Impossible Two soundtrack. Hell no. And I sorry. Uh, sorry, that was the sound of a motorbike going by. Just as I mentioned, the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack, so we're keeping that on. <laughs> uh, I am also hoping that, that guy got thrown off at high speed. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, also on the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack, I don't know if you remember this. Of Chris, course I remember this. Uh, How could I forget that? Uh, a cover of Have a Cigar, Pink Floyd, uh, by Foo Fighters with Brian May <laughs> from Queen. <laughs> Lordy. So that was a uh, absolute uh, peak of culture there, <laughs> but that's my Foo Fighters Nexus. I'll, uh, no. I'll see your Nexus and raise you. Uh-huh. Okay, let's hear it. We should maybe ask people to vote on what their preferred Nexus. Is we shouldn't because well. mine's is always going to be right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so the Dirty Three, as we've mentioned, are tied to both Nick Cave and Mick Harvey. By a number of different things, uh, Jim White used to play with Conway Savage, who Conway Savage was uh, a member of the Bad Seeds. Uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds had a track on the OST official soundtrack, folks, <laughs> of songs in the key of X, music from and inspired by the X Files TV show. Wow, great! Which also features Gary Newman, Elvis Costello, and Frank Black, amongst others. The X Files 
compilation actually featured a track by Foo Fighters, uh, a, an especially lame version of a lame song called Walking After You. Of course. But I'm going to take it one step further and Let's go better than that. say that Dave Grohl made a cameo in the X-Files. In the X-Files. Uh, in season three, episode 17, I believe, uh, an episode called Pusher, about a guy who mentally influences Mulder to do funky things. Wow. Dave Grohl Good work. apparently also had a massive crush on... Gillian Anderson, Gillian Anderson, Gillian. I don't Anderson, know what she prefers. Yeah, Gillian. We should mm-hmm. ask her. And was once on the one show at the same time as her, and described sitting next to her, staring at her face, going, "Oh my god, oh my god, she's so beautiful." She was a childhood crush of mine as well. Yeah, I, I have to say, I feel more of a kinship with Dave Grohl. This is Dave Grohl who has to have his family come on tour with him because he used to cheat on his wife so much. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's hey. that's actually true. Give yeah. me that. Well. <laughs> we do not endorse that necessarily, okay? Um, but yeah, and, and Gillian Anderson is a woman that has only got finer with age. I absolutely agree. Yeah, totally. She looks kind of mental when you look back at her and stuff. Yeah, she <laughs> does. But there you go. Anyway, departure. Uh, I'll play this stupid fucking music yeah. one more time. I want to hear it again. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, so Cinder, that's okay. It's got a song in it called Sad Jexia that's quite nice. The Cat Power song isn't great. It's got a lot of filler. Why? 19 tracks? No idea. Uh, they followed that with Toward the Low Sun, which again, a little bit like She Has No Strings Apollo. It's a little bit formless. It's kind of, it's nice. And a track called Sometimes I Forget You've Gone, which is good. It's very scattered, very jazzy. And I think Jim White especially really revels in those tracks where he's like let off the leash to just go nuts. But I really don't think anything they've done other than Ocean Songs has come close to whatever you love you are. It was the second lot of stuff I heard by Dirty Three after Last Horse in the Sand. I discovered the song uh, Some Summers They Drop Like Flies, which is the opening track in this. And it's it's a strange way to open an album. It's so understated. It's so incredibly patient. Very melancholy, uh, has that really subtle tambourine motif, just the double stroke tambourine for ages. Um, it, it also shows Jim White, uh, by this point, an incredibly gifted and I'd imagine quite confident drummer, playing to the strengths of the music. Because mm-hmm. the guy could do so much, yet he sits there very... It's about the notes you don't play rather than the notes you play. There's a hell of a lot of notes he doesn't play in that song. Yeah, um, He just does this very minimalist motif and it is so good uh, as the song builds up as well this is the album where I feel I, I may be wrong feel free to correct me listeners uh, but I think they make the they make the most and best use of loops the violin yeah. does a lot of looping in this album uh, especially as it sort of spirals and becomes quite washy and you know like quite dizzying almost And they use that to create sense of, a sense of tension and a sense of, you know, the tracks often culminate in these big kind of built up. Yeah, sort of Steve Reichy, Millie's Family yeah, type vibe. Exactly. But, um, it, it's quite syncopated and yeah. sort of like does that, uh, what's it called? Is it Portmanteau? Where no, it's uh, Lee Motif. Lee Van Cleef. <laughs> Lee Motif. <laughs> Lee Motif, sorry. Lee Motif. A Portmanteau is a, is a contraction of the two, or, two words. Yeah, like that. Shit. Um, Norma Jean record that's made completely of portmanteaus. Yeah, what one's that? I fucking take myself. Oh god, outside. the aftermath. Really, I don't know. Like, Carrick 
tarantula and oh, all okay. these things. Yeah. 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 That's my portmanteau <laughs> literature link. I mean, Jesus. I'm, I have a pure redneck that was. Leitmotif is what you I feel like I let you back in there, Mark, because mm-hmm. I had you on the deck. <laughs> <laughs> Second track, I really should have gone out last night, has got to be one of the Dirty Three's nicest moments. It's uh, such a careful balance of melancholy and optimism. It's it really does. Uh, it's such an such an. Abs- I have that exact. Well, I have um, sense of mel- melancholy, but also hope. Mm-hmm. Hope and optimism. In my well. notes as well. See, they're pretty similar. Like yeah, exactly. So. Um, it's it's really odd how they can illustrate. Or I mean, I, I would obviously assume they they picked the title retrospectively, um, but it really does fit. With the feel of that song, that kind of like gentle melancholy of like, oh, I missed out. Oh, I wish I'd been there, but you know, but it's not like the I really shouldn't have gone out last night. Exactly, which would be a different song. actual regret or you know feeling dead. It's this is really beautiful. Yeah. Again, it's one of those tracks where they use the staccato violin and a, a loop of it as well. And I, I love it when they bring it down like that because they can be so loud and brash when they get going. But when they just, when, when Warren Ellis just starts picking out those little melodic like riffs, uh, uh, they rarely get better as a band for me. It really, it draws you actually closer to the music, I think. Um, there's also a really, really subtle guitar line at 5 minutes 40 that Mick Turner brings in and it's so like simple. Absolutely sets everything off, man. It's just that little squeeze of lemon in the fish. We track three. I offered it up to the stars in the night sky. Uh, it take about seven and a half minutes in that track, just with this weird kind of seasick miasma of odd violin kind of parts, and again a bit of looping, and it drifts about. There's wee hints of a chorus that sort of pretends it's going to poke through and then disappears again, kind of under the waves. Um, but then about eight minutes, that, that kind of hinted that chorus really starts to to establish itself. Um, it builds, it layers up, and it's got this really triumphant uh, kind of crashing finale. Track four, some things I just don't want to know. Um, it's coming off the back of that cacophony of the previous track. They, they, they immediately suck everything down to, to, to some really soft and intimate again. Um, it's got this really nice kind of woodblock, I think it's a woodblock percussion that he's doing. Like a really simple arrangement uh, and a guy playing well within himself for the benefit of the songs it's got more looped violin it's, it's just a beautifully understated uh, and it's got a nice refrain as well that sort of presents itself at the end of that, that song I think like, track 5 Stellar for me is probably the, the weakest albeit not a weak song but probably the weakest on the record um, it's, it's Jim White at his freest in this album it's mm-hmm. almost like he was like yeah I'll behave myself on the other tunes if he's just let me yeah. you know run about a bit mm-hmm. on, on Stellar He really does. He goes for it. Really shows his but f- abilities. I don't know. I I know what you mean. It's it's maybe not a track that I'd go back to, but I like how it stretches the album. 
a little bit like in that sort of I don't know like you know that dynamically they're capable of doing that a little bit more yeah that's true so it kind of makes you appreciate the rest of it yeah, I don't know it, it's, it's the right amount of meandering uh, as you were you, you were discussing in regards to um, mm-hmm. She Has No Strings Apollo for example it's just the right amount of that where it, you do get that satisfaction of something quite free and very jazzy and very felt you know very played very kind of in the moment yeah it, it's something they overdo in some of their later records I would agree but then, with that and, but then on this it works because it then comes back to Lullaby for Christie. Lullaby for Christie as well is it, it was part of that second batch of Dirty Three stuff that I heard. And I, you know, it's that thing where I'd heard the band, they're like, this is quite a good band. But when I heard Lullaby for Christie and, uh, as I said, uh, Some Summers You Drop Like Flies, that was when I realised this was not just a band I quite like. This is this is a band that I actively yeah. love. Um, it's so patient. I mean, it's 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 a, almost a bizarre song structure, given mm-hmm. that it, it it fades up over the course of like seven minutes. Just this very very simple motif with them. I mean, I'm sure there's a bit of production in terms of the ramp, but also just the way they've played. They've played dynamically as well. You can hear it in Jim White's drum strokes, which don't even really start until about four minutes in. They're very hinted at. There's some very subtle snare stuff, some really simple kind of marches that come in at the back of these bars, but it's so minimalist. It's a, it's a track actually that really reminds me of being in Spain the first time I travelled by myself. Same time as I was listening to Low, and there's a, a tie in with that as well because 33 have collaborated with Low mm-hmm. to really great effect, which I'll just mention just at the end of the episode here. But um, this track really reminds me of being in Spain. It reminds me of, of flying over the Pyrenees. It really reminds me of travel and of the kind of arid landscape that you encounter when you get down past Zaragoza and places like that. And this song just is so patient, like six, six and a half minutes before it's got any real volume, before there's any real kind of gain on any of the instruments. And then it only really lets itself go once at the seven, like the seven minute mark where the violin drifts away from that motif just just momentarily it's only about 20 seconds it takes a little excursion up into the stratosphere and then just winds its way back down and then settles again and then there's another 30-40 seconds and the track just drifts to a close Mature as a bit as a bit of songwriting, it, it just they could have done it again. They could have stayed up. They could have. You well, know, I always feel like, particularly on this track, but also on a lot of their stuff, there's echoes of Godspeed, obviously because of the yeah, violin, very much so. And like on this track, they could have definitely gone and done a Godspeed and gone into a fucking riff at yeah. the end, or you know, I feel even chunk. even more than Godspeed, I'd say probably Silver Mount Zion. Yeah, you know, yeah, given yeah. The, the reliance on the violin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that aesthetic, you're totally right. That there's a big chunk of that representing they, this. They don't, they don't ever go into that, which is yeah, totally fine for they, this. It's perfect for this. Exactly. They totally eschew the kind of overindulgence of it, and, yeah. and as a result, it it is just kind of spellbinding and and really just in, the restraint is impressive mm-hmm. that they exercise in that song. It goes without saying. I, I love this band. I love this album. I think it's. A masterpiece. I think Ocean Songs is pretty much as good as it. I can't really explain why I, I came to the conclusion of this one over Ocean Songs. It's maybe just a little bit of the association I have, but it, it, this one's really it, it's endured for me. I mean, it's only six tracks as well, but they're just so strong. 
it is also worth checking out as a, as we mentioned at the start the Dirty Three have or Dirty Three sorry have a lot of collaborative stuff in, in their catalogue both individually and uh, as a group um, Jim White's done stuff with Cat Power Beth Orton Smog PJ Harvey we played on the White Chalk album Nina Nastasia which by the way, I think is an album that I'll probably propose for one of the future episodes a record called You Follow Me which is Nina Nastasia and Jim White and it is fantastic One day Really, really brilliant record. Um, he's done stuff with Mark Kozalek as well. Uh, as I said, um, I mean, Warren Ellis has done any number of things, including stuff with Cat Power, because he, he got a mention when we did You Are Free. They've also, uh, they did, as I said, a, a split EP below and also part of a series called In the Fish Tank, which is via Concurrent. It's a sort of Dutch music distro group. Um, and they came up with this thing, which was a series of EPs where they tried to pair bands off and they give them a set amount of time, kind of locked in a studio and see what they came up with. As part of the series, they've got Tortoise and the X They've got Sparkle Horse and Fennes. They've got Motorcycle and the Yaga Yazist. They've also got Isis and the Aerogram. Um, so there's some really, really interesting collaborations. The Isis and the Aerogram record is incredible. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that, one of my favourites of really both bands. Yeah, it's a really cult record that, and as as is the the low and dirty three one for me. There's a there's a rendition on there of Down by the River by Neil Young that is incredible in its delicacy. It's just fantastic. I love the original, but I love that cover almost as much. again is, is a really beautiful uh, bit of music they're a fantastic band I love them a lot of people kind of sidestep them but they've had an influence on a lot of folk as well um, at some point in the future I'm sure we'll talk about Grails uh, Grails are a band that drew a lot from Dirty Three um, and as you mentioned Godspeed and Silvermount's Ion uh, a few of the other bands on Constellation I would say do make say think oh a bit to Dirty Three um, yeah there's, there's quite a bit of it out there and they really sort of pioneered this weird punk folk thing like this is this genre and they, they still are one of the only bands really doing it right I suppose Exhaust are maybe in there as well but um, yeah I think this is wonderful I'd, I'd love to see them in there because they're grossly underrepresented in general but uh, especially this album and to be fair Ocean Songs what are your thoughts Mark? How oh, they put my cards on the table I really liked it I agree I think well I mean I listened to Ocean Songs and I thought that did suffer a little bit from meandering but I think it's because they had this first and I really like the brevity of it, of the record over that, over Ocean Songs. Yeah, I heard o- it. Ocean Songs has that song Deep Water, which is 17 minutes, which mm. I think for some people stretches it a bit too much. Yeah, I mean, there's almost, like, they're obviously clearly a very talented band that are capable of writing some interesting and moving and also, you know, can be quite powerful music as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can sometimes push that too far I think and they find the I balance quite well in this record I mean this music would be very easy to get wrong and to make boring yeah totally that's, I that's think they really avoid that in the most part like, I think over even their career band, but yeah exactly but, yeah. even they have done that at points there's, yeah. there's no point in like being too precious and denying that they have released stuff that is not but that's because of mind blown the way that the, you know what they're doing is yeah. difficult to get right it must be hit and miss as well I, but I, yeah. yeah I agree I think on this record they absolutely nail it I didn't know what to expect when I first heard it and I, I was listening to it on, the, on a flight back from Birmingham which had been delayed by two, two and a half hours and I was just absolutely raging and I put this on halfway halfway over the, halfway over, to, over towards Glasgow and I was like holy shit this is just the perfect record for right now <laughs> just bringing you, you bring you down yeah and it was just it was brilliant I listened to it again on the way home I think, um, I th- I think also the fact that there's such a colourful bunch of guys it's, it's like this music could be quite austere I suppose if it was played and was dead serious and everybody was really sort of looking at the ground but if you go and see Dirty Three live like 
they're they're pretty wild. Like they're really animated guys. Warren Ellis is just you can't take your eyes off him. He's so expressive. I mean, I think we we put a photo up on the site before we did this episode, which is him lying flat on his back in the middle of a stage that looks like a hardcore punk band. I've just played in it because yeah. it's absolutely gubbed, mm-hmm. and it's a guy playing a violin, and you know it's a th- the three always pedals jazz folk guys. I mean, they are a wonderful band to see live. I can't speak highly enough of them I know mm. as I said my man Dave Warner it's, it's one of the best things he's ever seen and he's seen a lot of stuff so uh, anything he says is usually right I think it goes in yeah, yeah I think we have to beg for this to go into the come on folks I don't think we have to beg I think no, people, we don't. people oh, yeah. agree with no, us people generally seem to be agree with us at this point Keys it Keys it Okay, well, so go and vote. Please. We should go we and should, vote uh, on Facebook. Yeah, and uh, can go we share this to any friends? Can we just take this opportunity to say we are using matching headphones? Uh, we've all got decent mics. We've got a recorder that we didn't have to steal, uh, and it's all thanks to all the people that donated to this podcast. Yeah, thank and you very we much. Really, really appreciate it. It's very much appreciated. Uh, if you do still want to donate, then we always have costs going forward, like studio hire. Uh, so hosting or that kind of thing there's, yeah. Yeah, there's hosting, also, things like that there's an idea that's been floated about maybe getting a short run of t-shirts made up as well so if anybody thinks they would be game for that please let us know and we'll, we'll consider it um, but yeah I mean we're going to keep investing in this stuff but we really appreciate you getting us over this first hurdle of being largely autonomous and not having to borrow bits and bobs so hopefully there'll be a bit of consistency in the audio quality from now on apologies that's my fault <laughs> so We've all what we're doing next. Well, I've looked, I've just picked up a guitar here because I don't. I, I mean, this is the ultimate guitar album for me. Really? It's, well, it's just oh, the ultimate guitar band. Yeah, ultimate guitar band. That's it. Yeah. And for me, it's you know, it's their unsung record. It's uh, Iron Maiden by Iron Maiden, which includes the song Iron Maiden. Um, so we're going so many levels of Iron so Maiden. many levels of Iron Maiden. Are yeah, you going to play us out? <laughs> well, I can David, do your guitar for it all. Before you got here, David did say he knows every track of uh, this, this this record, so he probably could try. Um, yeah. But he is holding the solos. He is <laughs> holding my guitar, and you know, if there was anything that was going to make me throw my guitar out the window, it would be this album. So, <laughs> <laughs> see how we get on. Thanks, guys. Great. Bye. <laughs>